Welcome back once again to Rhythms of Grace. Uh, my name is Nate. I'm the executive pastor at Grace Church, and I'm here with Sung Kim, who's the lead pastor at Grace Church in uh, Ann Arbor and Canton. And uh, we have been talking here in season two about self-knowledge, uh, and the primary framework for this conversation is uh, the Enneagram. Now, as we have talked about the Enneagram in a couple different circumstances, we've gotten some criticism. And I just want to take a second. We're going to actually take this entire episode <laughs> to talk about what, where those criticisms are coming from, whether they're valid, you know, where the Enneagram fits sort of in our context as people of faith. Uh, so, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you because thankfully most of the criticism has come to you. And not oh me. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's a, almost a, a sadistic relishing in that too. You love criticism. You, I think it makes you feel like you're, like you're far enough on the edge <laughs> that, that you're doing something right. Oh boy. I know I, I need therapy for that. Uh, so, you know, so th- it's not come from anybody actually inside the church or even probably our listeners, but in my other role, I, yes, I am overemployed. Um, <laughs> That's true, actually. Uh, I, I work, I, I am the coordinator of leadership development in our denomination, the Reformed Church in America, and we, we, uh, we regu- regularly do workshops and courses, and, and we're doing a course on like advanced level Enneagram for those who know more than the basics. And uh, we send it out to a pretty large email base. And let me just read two emails oh, that were sent. Bring them. Oh, yeah. So one just said, hey, hey, I'm wondering how you can take something steeped in mysticism and call Christian believers to practice it. How do you do that? Have you sussed out what is behind this system? How does this align with God and the things of God? Or are we being sucked into something under the guise of goodness, which at its heart truly isn't? This and encourage people to pursue God has delineated in scripture how we are to be disciples and to mm-hmm. make disciples. I don't see an egram as being part of it and wondering about your justification for bringing this forward. That started as being kind of like a, hey, can you tell me? But it wrapped up pretty like you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the one guy I work with at, in the denomination, Eduardo, he's like, hey, Sung, you want to respond to this? I was like, nope. <laughs> uh, you know, because it, it, it I, and, and this has just been more from uh, experience and learning because, um, I I know this is not a conversation. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, I know they're not going to change my mind and vice versa. Yep. Um, if I do respond, it'll be more out of courtesy and not because I'm trying to be, uh, whoa, I'm really loud. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, you know, so uh, another email um, that, that was sent. <laughs> this one is great. What a sad state of affairs. Oh, so right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of yeah. the gate. There's no niceties there. It's no. like right out of the gate. That the RCA is in a, as a denomination. And he, he says, they now have leaders, meaning me, mm-hmm. that subscribe to the pagan occultic form of self-discovery called Enneagram. This has no place in God's church. It is just another way that Satan is spreading his re- reaches into the modern church. I lament this and pray that God will open your eyes to this false teaching. For now, I have unsubscribed from the RCA mailing list. Wow. Wow. <laughs> actually... I, w- I will say, if our podcast had any sort of production value, we would have had some sort of a guest actor come in to read those, but <laughs> just imagine it was someone other than Sung. Yeah, so there's two people, and, and again, I mean, 
I tend to think if we get an email, there's mm-hmm. probably more than that single person that are thinking this. Mm-hmm. And as we've kind of talked to, uh, as I've talked to my family or other people in the church about doing this, there have people, people have asked the question. Mm-hmm. I feel like, isn't the Enneagram sort of rooted in like that second email said paganism or mm-hmm. um, was it Sufi? Sufi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, kind of like, how do we navigate that? So that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to broaden the scope into just the whole sacred-secular divide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a big pet peeve. Yeah, we're both pretty passionate about <laughs> yeah. that. But like, so uh, the Negram, the, the origins uh, are ancient, but uh, there is no pinpoint uh, origin. You okay. Know? Uh, so... Uh, like different people will say different things, like some attributed to even the desert fathers, um, some to uh, Sufi mystics, which is uh, again, where a lot of the occultic kind of, you know, uh, accusations come some even to Pythagorean, his geometry of mathematics. And he used a lot of just, you know, things that resemble the symbol of the Enneagram or uh, so everything from mathematics to, you know, ascetic monks to uh, Jewish uh, Kabbalists and Sufi mystics, it's all over the place. And yeah. so basically there, there is no or, or, uh, origin point. But we do know that it's tremendously ancient. It is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And that's part of why it's hard to know exactly where it came from. Yeah, and, and it was never intended when it, back in the ancient days to u- be used as a self-discovery tool. And that's actually been a more modern development. And so some of the and some of the more modern developments have been like a Bolivian philosopher, uh, Oscar Icazo, who kind of helped popularize this, and Claudio Naranjo, who was a, a Chilean, I think Chilean psychiatrist, and, and then more recently uh, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan father, who's uh, popularized this back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. Yeah. What was it? Do you know what it was used for? If it wasn't for like self discovery, was it just sort of like a hey, here? This is it, it was much more philosophical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes or, sense. Or even mathematical. Yeah. Right. But but then I, I mean honestly, in fact, <laughs> Nate, I was talking to your mom about this. Okay. On Sunday, she loves the enneagram. By the way, <laughs> hi mom. I know she's listening. And, and maybe it was your mom, or maybe it was your dad. But they were like, yeah, we're talking about how like when you look at the enneagram symbol. Like, if you don't really look at it carefully, it, it can seem like it's like a pentagram. Yeah, it is. It's like a circle, and yeah. the numbers are around the outside, and then you draw these lines yeah. in between them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I was telling her, like, oh, yeah. you know, and She was talking about, like, you know, Sung, like, I have all these vestiges growing up uh, from the 80s or whatever. And yeah. I was like, oh, Joni, man, I, I grew up in the 80s. Yeah. That was my life. Oh, it you was. Know? So it was like you're, you listen to Christian music, you, sure. you know, or, or well, again, we'll get that. To, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the <laughs> That's <program>. right. <laughs> we want to jump into the, uh, the pet peeve part. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll stay with the Instagram. But, but like I pulled up another article um, and I just want to read what they said too, criticizing it. And again, uh, I think we've done a, pretty decent job of all the critics uh, out there. But uh, the writer said, we definitely should be concerned when the Neogram is being used, as many Catholics have, as a form of Gnostic-based numerology. We shouldn't be seeking divination from a tool that was developed by someone who claims it was handed to him in a vision from what sounds suspiciously like a demon. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. And, And I will say, this is not some, like blogger kind of this is this i said this is somebody very reputable okay (laughs) yeah yeah wow so um just to say like you know man first and foremost like the enneagram is not a christian tool it is not a christian symbol like we've said again no model is perfect some are useful 
Um, I, I love what uh, one, one seminary professor, Chuck DeGroat, who's written a number of books, really good books. He's also a professor at Western Theological Seminary. He, he, he says this, and I, I think this is, so let, let's first off just disabuse the notion of like, if it doesn't have Christian origins, then it must be pagan. Okay. We'll get to that later. Yeah. Let's talk specifically about the Enneagram, like, and we'll give a lot more examples later on about like so many things in our lives that aren't Christian in nature. Yeah, but even hey, even inside the church. Yeah, <laughs> yes, there's a there's a ton of them. And if you apply the same kind of logic, oh my goodness, you would eviscerate everything in, in the sanctuary. Yeah, <laughs> but we'll get to that. But uh, he 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 says this, which I think is really good because when when you look at the Enneagram uh, again, it's a tool uh, or let me back up and say this. The Enneagram is a helpful tool, but it is the gospel that is always and will be the catalyst for transformation in our lives yeah. as a follower of Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who is going to convict you of sin and lead you to greater holiness. At the same time, like your experience and mine and many others, you know, people have, have said to me like, man, the Enneagram has shown me uh, where my blind spots are. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps them understand, like, their own unique, although none of us are really unique, our unique and universal sin struggles, as well as we've talked about in the last episode, it helps us understand other people. But going back to Chuck DeGroat, I love what he says here. He says, the Enneagram has people of all stripes talking about besetting sin patterns. Can you imagine that? It takes sin far more seriously than any contemporary psychological tool. Is it perfect? No. But, it can, but can it teach a new generation with accessible language and invitations to repentance and surrender? Absolutely. And you might just find Jesus when you didn't think you were looking. That's so good. And so, uh, can, again, can you hear me? Is my mic, can you hear me in your headphones? I, 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 like, I, I can, but you're, you're really quiet and yeah, I seem really super, loud. Yeah, it's super weird. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Just speak louder. I will. I'm just going to yell. Okay. I, I'm right up on it. I think you can hear it better. Your yelling and my whispering sounds the same. Yeah, that's true of so many areas of our life. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, you know, again, I don't know how much more to go into this, or if you're a critic, uh, we're actually going to try to convince you. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I do. Is there anything else you want to say? Because I do want to broaden this up too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just want to refer back to uh, what we really talked about in one of the previous episodes, which is that self knowledge can lead us towards God. Yeah, you know, and and that is the benefit of a tool like the Enneagram. Not that in and of itself it is good, but that it reveals things about ourselves and areas and i think the enneagram does a great job of this areas where we need to be transformed yeah and for those who need spiritual language it gives you a tool uh to to identify what paul calls your old self um and other names might be like your shadow side your false self your blind spots your deadly sins your flesh your flesh yeah, yeah. but then it can also point you um, again, this is not the Bible, this is not gospel, but it can point you to a greater wholeness and healing, right? It, it, it calls you to take off your old self, yeah. and then it helps you put on your new self. Um, and, and again, it, let me just, again, be very clear. It, it, the gospel is central. You know, th this is not uh, a replacement of scripture or right. a replacement of the gospel, right. but it is a tool 
just like, you know, seeing a counselor or a therapist is a tool. Yeah. You, you, you don't replace that with the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. Like right. nobody says that. Yep. Well, maybe somebody, but, um, so uh, again, it, it's, it's the, it, it's not this, uh, either or sacred, sac- secular, it, it, it's, and, and there's a lot of discernment in that. And I think that's why, uh, people fall into one or two temptations of, uh, in this, but yeah, again, it's a helpful tool to grow, especially, and we'll, I'll reiterate this point, especially if you use it as a, not so much just a navel gaze and go, Oh, how fascinating am I? Right. Or this is who I am. <laughs> like, accept me the way that I am. Right. right. As much as it is like, Oh, he, here's the dark corners of my heart. Yeah. And as God's light exposes that, uh, through this tool, like, how do I become more whole? Yeah. What, what are the things that have affected me growing up or even currently or in my environment or even just in my sin nature that I have a tendency towards this, um, you know, and, and how do I grow more in wholeness? And when, when it's used that way, uh, again, that could be such a, a powerful tool. And again, not when it's used as a, well, you're one. And so, you know, you, you shouldn't be spontaneous. Right. Like, the, again, that's harmful. Yeah. That's a sword. Yeah. But, yeah, and so let's broaden this a little bit because uh, because there are people, in fact, one of your the emails addressed this specifically, like scripture has given us all we need to become like Christ. Why would we be looking outside scripture? And that really speaks to this sort of sacred secular divide, kind of like anything that's inside this box is sacred and okay. Everything else we mm-hmm. either don't need or we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, engage with. Right. Right. And so sometimes I think um, one one quote, I don't remember who said it, but I, I love to repeat is, uh, you know, he said, all truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. And so not everything in God, like everything in scripture is sufficient for for our faith and life in Christ. But nowhere in scripture does it talk about flossing your teeth. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, is that a truth? Well, no, but it's it, it's it's a wise thing to do. It's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you were to take that kind of logic, like, well, everything in, in, in the Bible is, is all I need. Well, don't listen to your dentist. Don't brush your teeth. Don't fly. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing in there. Right. Right. And, and right. so if you take such a hardline exclusivist and, and even though you may say that nobody actually lives that way. Yeah. Nobody. And we're going to, we have some good examples. <laughs> we're about to expose all of our own and your hypocrisy. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Um, you know, and so let's just talk about this word secular. Um, it it comes from a Latin root and it it really just means like the world or, um, you know, the physical world or or the present age, but like having this divided bifurcated view of the world split between sacred and secular, uh, you know, like for example, growing up in the eighties, um, I was really into Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. And we'll get we've just lost half our listeners right there. I know, right? (laughs) And my dad would be like, It's magic, it's a cult, you know, like you shouldn't do this. And he was super strict. And and then he would point out all the people, all the kids who, like, you know, thought they were wizards and jumped off buildings and committed suicide. Jeez. That's funny. You know, uh, we I was just talking to my parents about this earlier this week at dinner. Which was that, like, when I was little, also in the 80s, we went through a stage where we were trying to, like, cleanse our house of all of the secular influences. So we were, like, burning stickers in the fireplace. Anything that that was, like, not specifically sacred, we yeah. were... We, and so 
We went through a whole sticker burning. I remember because I loved sticker. You know, <laughs> as a kid, right? And <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, didn't great. you say like trade stickers like in elementary no, school? Football cards. <laughs> okay. Well, there. That's a that's a window into our respective <laughs> lives right there. Uh, but like, I just remember like taking pages out of my sticker books and just throwing them in the fire to be burned because they were Smurfs or ET or whatever. I don't even know. Yeah. No. And I remember when I first became a Christian. And again, uh, this isn't a bad thing. Like you know, like I remember. Uh, again, growing up, man, glam, 80s rock, Def Leppard, Motley Crue. That was my jam, yeah. you know? And I remember when I became a Christian, I, I, I had a collection of hundreds of CDs. I, I, like, broke them all, you know? And I think for me, like, was that a, a good or right thing? I, I, I don't know if it's a right or wrong thing as much as, like, it, it was so symbolic for me. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm sorry, I just remembered, dude, my older brother and I burned all of his secular <laughs> CDs on the railroad burned? tracks by our house. Yeah, like oh we did. We literally were like two teenagers and we walked like three blocks carrying a can of gas and then went up <laughs> on the railroad tracks and somebody called the cops. Oh, no. And the cop, the cop pulled up. He was like, hey, what are you guys doing? And we were like, uh. Burning our secular <laughs> CDs. I mean, literally. So my brother had just become a Christian and he was being, he was like he wouldn't lie so the guy the cop was like what are you guys doing he's like uh we were up on the railroad tracks he's like the cop said you weren't lighting any fires were you and my brother said uh we lit a small one and the cop looked so surprised that anybody would admit it he was just like uh don't do it again and then he drove off (laughs) that's great yeah and you know especially in the music industry christian music industry uh you know like, I, I remember the day when a- a- Amy Grant, who was, like, the darling of the uh, Christian church, sang, like, what was that song? Baby, Baby, or oh, something. Oh, yeah. Like a love song, or whatever it was. Baby, sweet baby. <laughs> yeah. Something and, that I just got to say. <laughs> and, and oh, no, that's Aretha Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> and so many people were like, oh, she's not a Christian anymore. You know, or, or the one band I listened to, the Christian metal band Striper. Striper. You know, they went the yellow rogue. and black attack. They, they fell away and all this. And, and again, like, and, and, and it was only later that, I mean, now I listen to both. Uh, and again, I'll just say this in quotes, uh, you know, Christian and quote unquote secular music. Yeah. Right. Because because uh, again, like the, at that time period like i was so steeped in certain things it was again it was a very symbolic thing yeah but later it was just like uh, but you know here's the other thing too i remember this was my freshman year in college i remember going on a mission trip and and nobody in our church listened to quote-unquote secular music you know because it it was just that kind of culture you listen to christian music and then i remember going on a mission trip with a a a bunch of people from intervarsity it's a Christian ministry, campus ministry, and they were listening to the quote-unquote secular music. Oh, man. And we all felt so, like, morally superior than them. <laughs> <laughs> like, how can they listen to that stuff, yeah. you know? Now, I know right now some of you guys are like, man, are you talking about relativism? Like, mm. you know, are you saying Is not- everything okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and we'll get to that. But just, just continue to talk, talk about that. Like, and even just the whole, like, let's understand this. First of all, um, the pulpit, which is uh, uh, something that's used in almost every church I've been to, um, it is never used in the Bible. Yeah, it, it, it actually wasn't used by Christians. The first time it was referenced was uh, in the third century. In in like a Christian context, it, it, yeah, from by a Christian. And in fact, the origins of a pulpit are Greek philosophers, Uh-oh. secular philosophers. So the pulpit, you know, so. <clears throat> 
I mean, can you imagine Peter or Paul like standing in front of a pulpit? No, like they, like there, there wasn't that. But and even the idea of a sermon, hmm. like you will never find the word sermon in the Bible. In, in the Bible, and, and and that was a word used again. Uh, its origin is from Greek and Roman philosophy, which is quote unquote secular. secular. So again, if you want to apply the same kind of logic, well, we sh- we shouldn't call it sermon, and we should get rid of the pulpit. Yeah, and in fact, and I. I preach sermons on this so many of the words that we use like good news or gospel yeah like it was it was redeemed right out of a secular it was caesar augustus yeah who proclaimed the the euangelion the good news of caesar and so what did christians do we're going to take that word and we're going to redeem it yeah um, and again, if you want to say well the origins are roman and, and you know dictatorial caesar like if you want to dis- dis- dispel that like th- then you got to Get rid of, I mean, even the word church in, in the Greek, ecclesia, it was a gathering of people who came to worship Caesar. Man. Like, so, like so many other, like, and, and that's the role, uh, that, that's what you see in the early churches. They, they subverted yeah. the dominant culture. Well, so if I can just take like two minutes yep. to, to talk about that concept, because one of my favorite stories that I think demonstrates the way Jesus brought the gospel mm. is when he was walking through the crowd and there was a woman who the Bible says she had an issue with blood. Essentially, it meant that she had had her period for like her entire life, mm-hmm. right? And if you read the Old Testament, a, a woman on her period was ceremonially unclean. And in fact, anything that she then touched was unclean. And anyone who touched anything that she had touched was also unclean. Right. And you have this concept in the Old Testament of of uh, sin or uncleanness spreading. It spreads from a person to an object to another person to another object to another person. That's how it spreads. So that's that's the, the framework that, that this woman was operating under. She had been unclean, unable to worship, um, you know, uh, for her entire life, essentially. Jesus is walking through the crowd, and she touches his garment. And the way that the Old Testament would describe it is that Jesus should have become unclean. But what happened instead was that she was cured. She was made clean. The power ran the other way. Right. And so I think it's so critical in all of these examples you're giving. The, the, the New Testament church was essentially doing that, saying the way that we've believed is that a small bit of sin can pollute a tremendous amount of good. And what we understand is the new reality of the gospel mm-hmm. is that the redemptive power of Jesus is more powerful. It moves upstream. It reverses the flow in a way that, that, that are, we've never seen before. And so that's what they were doing. They were taking a word that, 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 had, that should have been polluting kind of their sacred worship and saying, nope, that's not the way the power of God flows. It flows the other way. And this word is now sanctified. And so when we, when we talk about the divide, sacred and secular, oftentimes we're operating under the assumption that a little bit of secular is going to pollute the sacred. Right. And that's missing the core of the gospel, which is that the sacred cleanses the secular. Preach it, man. I should have you preach on man, Sunday. I'm getting fired up here. <laughs> I just finished my first cup of coffee, so that could be part of it. You know, and so especially when we use the word secular today, it, 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 it especially in the Christian church, it, it denotes this like boundary marker. Yeah. You know, whether it's a job or art or music, 
Um, and, and so again, in the especially the Hebrews, they had no understanding of a split between sacred and secular, or religious or non-religious. And, and sometimes I see it like played out this way: it, it's almost like we over-sacramentalize uh, religious uh, things. And so I'll often hear people say, "Say something," and then somebody else will say, "Don't say that. You're in church." Oh man! A- as if like this is some particularly like sacred ground yeah. and, and, and the inference is, well, when you're not in church, you can say that. Right. Right. It's okay. In other places. Yeah. Just not here. Yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, again, and again, that, this whole sacred secular divide goes back to Plato again, a Greek philosopher, a sec, quote, quote unquote secular Greek philosopher. Cause he, he divided reality into this higher spiritual realm of ideas. And then this lower uh, realm of physical world and senses which was an imperfect copy of the higher realm. And, and then so actually, uh, there's a, this is getting a little philosophical, but just just indulge me for a moment. But then the, there's this whole Gnostic, Gnosticism, which was a movement back in the early church that basically said the physical universe is inherently evil. They would even deny that Jesus came in bodily form or rose from the dead. And so this that thinking has infected the Christian faith even to this day, yeah. especially when we think like, oh, when you're, you know, uh, and this even plays out even in terms of like how we elevate uh, full-time pastors or missionaries. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the inference is like, oh, I'm just, I'm just a custodian or an engineer, so my job is less meaningful. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. It's the reverse. Um, and, and so there, there were no such things as full-time pastors. Which, so that is, I mean, unbiblical. Right. We should just ban ourselves. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so just to say, and, and especially, uh, again, a little tour into history too. And, and then as you go into like medieval Christianity, that divide became even sharper between, you know, priests and monks and, and, and the common people. And there was a sense of like, well, you know, people who are priests and monks are more holy. And, and then when you bring it to today, uh, what churches what churches have done is they separate you know as society has separated uh, God and faith from the fabric of conversation uh, the churches began drawing lines and, and yeah. retreating and, and redefining things as Christian so you know praying and scripture is Christian but playing and eating and, and drinking are not necessarily sacred even though, uh, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of sure. God. Right? Or the fact that, that Christians regularly shared the, the meal of Christ yeah. as a part of their worship right. gathering. Yeah. And especially when it comes to cultural expressions, right? Books and movies. And, and if there's art without explicit Christian themes, then they were secular, yeah. quote unquote, which is like neutral at best or anti-Christian at worst. Right. <laughs> and so this fails to take into consideration uh, that God is sovereign over his entire creation. And like we talked about, he is in the process of, through his people, redeeming all creation for his glory. Yeah. And so... And, and some of your... And some of your... The emails that you read, again, to, to bring it back a little bit, they kind of communicate that attitude. Like, are we allowing Satan to infiltrate the church mm-hmm. through the Enneagram? Right. Which, again, is just this mindset of kind of like... Um, we we need to sort of like build these boundaries around what is sacred, and we have our number one priority is to make sure Satan doesn't get a chance to get in. Right, that's just a fundamental understanding of what the gospel says is happening, which is that God is in the process of redeeming. 
his power is what is expanding and that we are not actually on the defensive. We should actually imagine ourselves as being on the offensive right. and, and moving into those places, not to, not to um, change them from sacred to secular, but to let the transformative power of God inhabit the good things that already exist and, and, and truly make them sort of redeemed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what happens is because discernment and wisdom is required, Right? And that's hard yeah. work. Yes. Like, it's so much easier just to be like... Have rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this, is, this is what happens. Either um, things are secular and some things are sacred. So you kind of... There's that divide. Or you just think, oh, anything's okay. Relativism. Right. Yeah. Like, let's sacramentalize everything. Yeah. Which, which, this is not relativism either, you know? So, so I would say there are no Christian jobs. There are, there is no Christian art. There are only Christians um, who create art, and only Christians um, who who do jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all jobs are considered sacred yeah. to God. Yeah, we have a member of our staff who worked a long time in the in an office who's a perfect example of this. He literally he was a manager over several dozen people, and at some point he decided. These are people that God has given me responsibility for. I am going to essentially see them as my flock, so to speak. Yeah. So he began to care for them emotionally and spiritually, whatever. I mean, what a transformative way right. to manage in a, in a, a, again, not a church, you know, it was just a company. Uh, but, but that shift in mindset transformed the lives of the people around him. Yeah. Yeah, and so when it comes to the origins uh, of the Enneagram, right, uh, again, it's really, it's no, there's no definitive origins. And again, if that's the line of argument that you want to take, again, you need to start looking at, and, and you want to make a hard line about that, yeah. you need to look at the origins of so many things, and, and you'll realize... Christmas. That, yeah, Christmas throughout, you know, I... I, I <laughs> if you rearrange the letters in Santa, it spells Satan. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying... <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. And even uh, again, Halloween, yeah, all that stuff, right? Like, again, it's less about the origins as much as how are we as God's people called to redeem and renew these things and subvert culture, yeah. not to, not to sacramentalize it in and of itself, but how do we subvert it in a way and, and use it in a way that brings glory to God and, and um, moves the church forward in, yeah. in this world. That's so good. And, and that's the way that we're approaching this conversation about the Enneagram. It's a tool that came from we don't know where, but it can be used um, to, to bring us closer to God, to reveal more about ourselves and reveal our need for God and reveal ways that God is working and transforming us. That's right. It's a good word sung. All right, everybody, stick with us as we start to work our way number by number through the Enneagram in the coming episodes. Hope to see you then.